Welcome to the four-part teaching series, Kitchen Table Kingdom, featuring Harmony Klingenmeyer. In this series, you'll learn about God's original design for family and identity. Also, don't miss the special bonus episode. And now, here's your host, Jen Lowen. Hello, everybody. Happy Monday. Welcome back to Elijah Fire. I am your host for this series, Jen Lowen. Um, we have been doing a series called Kitchen Table Kingdom. Today is actually our bonus episode. So that if this is your first time joining us, welcome. We're so happy to have you guys here. So as I mentioned just a minute ago, this is our bonus episode for the Kitchen Table Kingdom series that we have been doing. And our guest is an incredible teacher. You are going to glean so much from this episode, but I strongly encourage you and recommend go back and watch parts one through four. She has just given such an incredible outline of what she's teaching and just how to how to parent from a kingdom perspective, how to parent from God's original design. And it is just going to give you so much resource. It's going to give you um, just a great head start to know where to go, especially with some of the stuff that she's teaching today. It'll be so foundational. Um, from what she's teaching today to have that as a resource. So without further ado, I would like to bring on our guest today. She is a prophetic teacher. She's a revivalist. She's a children's minister, and she's an author of two books called Hear Their Voices and Kitchen Table Kingdom, which is what this series is on. Please join me in welcoming Harmony Klingenmeyer. Jen, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm so great. I'm at home today. You might hear my puppy. She she heard me say hi, friends, and thought people. Get <laughs> up at our house. Yay. People, so yay. She, Let me greet them. Yes. So she said whoop, but then oh, she realized mom's just talking to the crazy box again. Oh, so. that's so cute. <laughs> that's so cute. So um, for the people who are just tuning in for the first time, I'm just going to give a quick, quick recap. Last Friday when we hosted, we talked about opening up to some questions on parenting for you. And we did get some questions. So I just wanted to start off today's episode with some questions for you in regard to the stuff that you've been teaching. So our first question today comes from Stephanie. And her question is asking, can we prophesy over our nieces and nephews or younger generations within our bloodlines? Come on. Bloodline. Yes. So the the overarching question is yes. Uh, I always, when it comes to the prophetic, I always say dare to prophesy, dare to take risks and to prophesy even if you don't think you have the spiritual authority to do it. Hmm. I have found the more often, the more um, I practice, I take risks, I prophesy, I release the word of the Lord, the scripture over people's lives. Even, even when I might be hearing a voice that's saying, well, do you really have the authority to speak to that? Or do you really, you know, they're, they're not your children, they're somebody else's children. I have found that just the declaration of the word of God over mm. any person's life, whether they're related to you or not, is so potent and powerful that the same spirit 
that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of us. And he is the spirit of truth and the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And it lives inside of every single believer. We've, we have these ideas, these sacred cows around the prophetic that says, oh, you know, only only certain special people prophesy. But the truth is God's voice is for every child, just like a father mm. doesn't only speak to his favorite kids. He speaks to every <laughs> child because every child is his favorite. Yeah. Um, God speaks to every single one of us. And the other thing is the nature of God is prophetic. So the, the scripture itself is a prophetic act. We wouldn't even have the Bible if it wasn't for the spirit of prophecy. So the, the everything that we read in scripture, I've got my passion translation here. Everything we read in scripture is a product of one man or one woman hearing God's voice and releasing what they heard. First and foremost, God's word is always spoken. So if prophecy wasn't real, we wouldn't even have this book. It wouldn't exist. Mm. And, and we also believe that the God who is revealed in scripture is who he says he is, which means he still speaks. If we believe that what God says about himself in scripture is true, that mm -hmm. he never changes, that he remains the same, that he is steadfast and faithful. He is a God that speaks and still does. So use your voice, whether it's start with your own life, your own heart, your first stewardship is your own life. Prophesy there first. Hmm. Then prophesy over your spouse, over your wife or your husband. Then prophesy over your children, over your parents. Um, just so powerfully uh, back in, I think it was 2016, um, I was visiting my parents in Wisconsin and a man, while I was out, uh, we were out shoveling, I think, or maybe throwing the football. Those are the two things that I do with my dad often, but, um, we were, we were outside and a man walked up and he said, are you, he was talking to my daddy, are you going to run for city council again? And my dad had already run for city council twice and had lost both of those uh, elections. And it was hard on my dad, but it was even harder on my mom. And she will mm. tell you, uh, because she so believes in who my father is and has it herself benefited from my father's love and leadership, she just thinks the world of him and thinks everybody else should too. And <laughs> I actually totally agree. He's an amazing <laughs> man. Um, and yet uh, the, the city of Middleton, a very um, liberal city overall, uh, did not uh, necessarily, weren't ready for another Ramsey. You see, my, my grandfather had been the mayor of Middleton for 30 years. Oh. And, and so they weren't ready for another Dan Ramsey. But it was God's timing. It was the 12th year that they had lived in Middleton. And as I was sitting there, standing there, listening to this man in my father chit chat, I began to get a prophetic word over my father's life. Hmm. And I, I actually wrote the word out and I left it on his nightstand next to his bed. And it was that my father was called to be to the office, to the to the rank of Lieutenant General. And God hmm. began to talk to me about the role of Lieutenant General, how the Lieutenant General is the right hand man to the general who serves the general and even opposes the general at times in order to bring 
the right solutions at the right time. Hmm. And and um, if you look up what the role of the lieutenant general is, that is really what their job is. It's in interesting. Well, just so happened that that was the year he won the election. Aww. And you might say, you know, what spiritual authority did I carry in the life of my father? Well, um, I had not I had not been actively or at least not in his presence. I had not been prophesying over him. I hadn't been sending him prophecies by text, those types of things. Did I pray for him diligently? Absolutely. But this was a moment in time where mm. I could have been cowed in silence. But instead, yeah. I used my prophetic voice in the life of a person i wasn't sure i had spiritual authority in their life mm. but god asked me to prophesy and i did i took the risk and guess what it was right on and god brought the word of the lord to pass my father became the president of the city council and mm. the job of the president of the city council is to be the advisor to the mayor wow Wow. And to walk alongside with the mayor and to help him make decisions and at times to oppose him in order that what is right for the city would come to pass. Wow, that's wonderful. And that is his the office of lieutenant general. So I just I release that over you, Stephanie, and over every person who is listening to this. You are in this hour arising to prophesy into arenas where the enemy would like you to believe you have no spiritual authority. But mm. Abba is saying, my children will have authority wherever they are willing to prophesy in the name of Jesus. That's wonderful. Okay, so the next question is from Jennifer. She says, my question is, what do I do when my daughter doesn't cooperate? Usually in physical therapy, the therapist will ask her to try doing something and she doesn't comply and sometimes will shut down completely. I've tried being patient, negative reinforcement, positive reinforcement, which helped a few times, but doesn't seem to anymore. She is wasting therapy time and I don't know how to get her to obey. Mm, this is such a good one. Oh my yeah. goodness. I love this so interesting because i had a situation yesterday in children's church it wasn't my child but i had a child completely defy me and mm. that is not the norm M most of the time children um especially in public settings do not completely defy me but i had a child right. who completely defied me and in the moment the choice i made was to uh disengage from the conversation because it it had become a battle of the wills. So the most important thing is if mm. you're in a high stress situation where your children know it's on the line, oftentimes, depending on their personality, <laughs> if their personality like me, they're yeah. going to, they're going to dig in because yeah. they want to win. I'm going to die on this hill. <laughs> That's it. Now you have to decide a couple of things. First of all, is physical therapy a hill that you need to die on? Yeah. If it is, you don't you don't fight the battle in public. Okay. So these are conversations that you need to have before conversations that include both positive and negative consequences before you ever get to the physical therapist's office. Okay. So what I would recommend is that you practice. Now, um, did. Did she say how old her child is? She didn't. I didn't. She didn't give the age there. 
Okay, so that, that is an important aspect. So if you have a tween who's behaving like this, it's different than if you have a seven-year-old who's behaving mm -hmm. like this. So I would love to find out, what was the name of the lady? Jennifer. Jennifer. From Jennifer, the mm -hmm. age of the daughter. But what I would do is I would practice outside of the office. First of all, I would have a conversation with her around like an activity she enjoys. Maybe you take her for a smoothie or you take her for ice cream or you bake something in the kitchen she likes to bake or she likes to play a board game, you play a board game with her. You create an environment of connection and then you ask her, can you share with me why when we get to the uh, physical therapist's office, you uh, shut down? And you don't do it all the time. This is something it happens periodically or and it looks like it has escalated to a place where it's happening all the time. But you can just have a conversation with her and find out the reason. Hmm. There might be a reason that we don't know anything about. And it would totally help us create a plan yeah. and a strategy, design the strategy to fit the need of the child. But first, you got to figure out why it is. And if you can get the hmm. child talking, what does it do? it cultivates buy-in. Right. They, they feel listened to, they feel respected, they feel important, they feel like they have a voice in the decision. Now we all know at the end of the day, our mm -hmm. expectation is that our child will treat us res with respect and obey what we have asked them to do. But it's how we walk them on the path toward that where they they want to. Yeah. That's, that's cultivating buy-in. Yeah. It's when they want to do what we want them to do that everyone wins. Okay. Mm -hmm. So have a conversation. And in that conversation, you find out how they're feeling and why they're behaving the way they're behaving. And then you take the opportunity to express how you're feeling, especially if this child is nine, 10, 11, 12 years old. Mm -hmm. This child can understand the way yeah. that you're feeling. I, I'm struggling because I feel embarrassed. We go, uh, to, yeah. Right. Share. Yeah. And a lot of it could be that, you know, I yes. think shame and embarrassment can play a big role in a lot of things. Yes. And it also pay, pay, plays a huge role in the way that we respond to our children. Mm. So we are feeling shamed and embarrassed. <laughs> we want them to obey because we're in public oh. and there's people watching us, right? Oh, I can relate to that for sure. Yeah. Totally. So we're feeling the pressure of public opinion mm -hmm. in our child to mm -hmm. uh, obey, to conform to our will. Yeah. But in public, in those moments of, moments of stress, that is not the time to cultivate. You're not going to be cultivating buy-in. Instead, you're going to be forcing the child to obey your will through punitive means. And mm -hmm. you know what? We, we've all done it. We all do it. It's, it's not the end of the world if you have yeah. and you're not a bad parent if you have. Yeah, like buckling your toddler into the, to the car seat. I mean, like... Oh, yeah. I think we've all been there. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. You just, so, yeah. But the idea is to address those behaviors before you get to the car, right? Yeah. So you practice and you reward the behavior that you want to see. So you yeah. express to your daughter, when we go to the physical therapist, it, it really embarrasses me and it hurts me when you refuse to take part in these activities. So I'm trying to understand why it is you're refusing because I love you and I also believe something about you, daughter. I believe that you are a good, kind, obedient, intelligent mm -hmm. child. 
mm-hmm. capable of following directions and also capable of advocating for yourself. So mm-hmm. tell me why it is you're not willing to do this thing. Now, yeah. it's important that you cultivate this atmosphere of self-advocation, self-advocacy in all the different areas of life, right? right? The child has the ability to say, I really don't like it because the person who is doing physical therapy on me makes me feel unsafe. Mm-hmm. Or the, pers- the, the environment, I don't like it. I feel like people are watching me and I feel mm. embarrassed, right? Okay. Yeah. So those things are actually legitimate concerns and we want to validate the way that they feel. Then you, again, you have to decide if it's a hill you need to die on. Okay. Um, I see that physical therapy at, uh, at the office is not working for you. So here are some options. And this is where we build voice and choice. You, I'm going to get, um, videos. I'm going to get exercises and Mm. you are required to do these things three times a week at home with Mm -hmm. me or with your father and as long as you do them you follow the instructions of the physical therapist at home then we do not have to go to the office if you choose Mm. not to do these things at home then we're going to go back to the office and you'll have to experience discomfort of embarrassment and that's on you Mm. Okay, so you give them voice and choice. And again, it depends on the child. It depends on whether or not they really, really need the help of a physical therapist or mm. if they are exercises that can be done within the home environment. You, you, you get to decide. And, you know, the truth is, parents, we put the pressure on ourselves. Yeah, we sure do. Right. Mm-hmm. Like this has to happen. Yeah. We have to go. This has yeah. to happen. But are there alternatives? Absolutely. There's always alternatives. So but figure out what the alternatives are. Figure out how important P, yeah. the P, uh, PT is to you. Fig, figure out how important it is to the development of your child. Mm-hmm. Weigh those things in the balance and then decide how you are going to build voice and choice and buy-in in your home. And then practice. Because yeah. if it's not an environment norm, if it's the first time you've cultivated voice and choice, you mm-hmm. might get a great response or your child might be like, this is not, I'm not used to this. This is uncomfortable. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. Um, and they might rebel yeah. against even your attempts to build voice and choice. Should you give up? No, <laughs> you should yeah. keep going because the process of shifting the environment in order to cultivate different fruits. Yes, yeah. time, energy, and resources. Yeah, I heard another person, when, another parenting uh, advice person say, stay curious when it comes to some of these more difficult um, encounters. Stay curious, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe, come from a, maybe come from a perspective of I just haven't uncovered the root yet, you know, and yeah. then just keep, keep digging and stay curious. But I know that can be really difficult when we, like you just said, when we put those pressures on ourselves, you kind of have to come out from underneath that. And, um, yeah, I remember there were a couple times with my toddler when she was a toddler screaming in this grocery store, refusing to sit down in the shopping cart and getting, getting the side glances from the, the elderly people standing around me. And I had to, I finally had to take a deep breath and go, nobody else in the world matters more than her right now. I, and I'm going to put my focus and attention on her. Like who cares what they think? 
it's about her. She's not being safe. I need to help her, but she's also being very defiant. Doesn't understand if she falls off, she could crack her head open, you know? So sometimes I think just to what you said, taking that external pressure off of ourselves, um, because in the long run, I had to remind myself too, I probably will never see these people ever again. And even if they were to go home and tell the story to someone else, they wouldn't even remember what I look like. You know, (laughs) they would just say some mom was letting her kids scream in the store, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They wouldn't remember. Jen Lowen was in Winco and (laughs) you know what I mean? Yes. Um, Yeah. And and so. the truth is, everybody's got an opinion in the moment, including yeah. ourselves. How many of yeah. us have been on the other side of that? When yeah. my sister first became a mom and I didn't know anything, I mean, like nothing. I had so many opinions about her <laughs> mothering. And then over time, I realized how amazing she was and yeah. what an incredible mom she really was and is and is. My sister is an incredible mother and she fights for her daughters. And um, it does not have to look like my parenting. Um, and of course there's things that we can learn from each other, right? Of course sure. there are, or we wouldn't be doing this, yeah, <laughs> but, right. uh, but the truth is everybody's got an opinion and mm-hmm. they're not always based on truth. And you have mm-hmm. to learn, uh, to, to not be defined by other right. people's opinions of you. And that's very hard, especially in stressful situations. Yes. I had a very similar situation, but mine was with a seven-year-old who had just come into my home and threw his body on the floor in the middle of a Kmart, screaming his head off. And there was nothing I could do because he's a foster child. So I can't spank him, right? I can't, there's there's very little I can do. Um, And so I I literally didn't even know what to do. This was, you know, the beginning of my parenting journey. The very first child who came into my home, I had no idea what to do. Yeah, it's just like sweat stripping down your brow. And you're just like, oh, what do I do? (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, you better get yourself off the floor right now. You know, like that's all you say. What can you say? Right. Yeah. So I, I really, and I remember walking up, um, finally, he finally did get off the floor because I had to yield and give him what he wanted. That was the only way to get him off the floor. Now I ended up when we got to the car, I said, we're going to give this to a different child. This, this, you will never actually play with this toy. And Mm -hmm. this is, it's a, it's a great, um, you know, a great consequence. Um, I purchased this toy because you refused to leave the store. And now this toy is going to be donated to another child. Right. So then the meltdown could happen in the privacy of your situation. He could carry on and have that experience and just when you're done, we'll have a conversation. That's it. And we're, and I'm not going to yield. You can continue to scream, but I'm not going to yield, but I had to make a decision that would move him out of the store. Right. I gotcha. And so, Mm -hmm. And I'm standing there at the the counter. They don't know that I'm going to give it to somebody else, right? They don't know that I'm going to donate it to a needy child. They have no idea what I'm what I'm doing. All they see is that I'm yielding to the will of a seven year old yeah. who, who was a very large child, and I could not get him off the floor. That's all that they saw. And of course, they could have judgments. Of course, they could have opinions. Everybody has them, including me. And instead, the woman behind the counter said, "The woman who was check, checking me out," she said, "You're doing a good job." Oh, and I started to cry. I mean, I was just like, thank you. Like it was exactly what I needed to hear in that moment. So the truth is most people are like, I'm so glad that isn't me right now. I have been yes. in that situation. Yes. Jesus bless that mama. Most yeah. of them aren't judging us. It's the judgment comes from in here. Yeah. Not from out there. 
Yeah. And that's why we need to look, look first at the way that we're treating ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Are we believing the truth about our own mothering? Do we believe what Abba says about us, that we are good mamas and good daddies and that he called us and anointed us and mm -hmm. that whatever it is, it's not the end of the world because we're not going to make it the end of the world right. or are we yielding to lies? Yeah. So, so yeah. So if you're in the middle of that situation with your daughter, remember you have choices. You are not a prisoner of your situation. Yeah. And you can make a choice to walk out of that PT, a PT um, appointment and it won't be the end of the world unless we make it the end of the world. Yeah. Okay. So take a deep breath and think about cultivating buy-in and voice and choice and deciding what hill you want to die on. Excellent. Okay. We actually had a few more questions come in while you were talking. Yay. So Let's do it. Um, I'm, I'm gonna they came in in two different orders so i'm gonna do the bottom one first and then do the top one last and we'll probably finish up with that one so this one is from kristen she says what can you do to proactively come against the orphan spirit if you are looking to possibly adopt Ooh, that is my favorite subject all right so the most important thing that we do to combat the orphan spirit is to understand that the orphan spirit isn't a demonic spirit. The orphan spirit is the human soul that is deeply wounded and needs the embrace the to be to be held against the bosom of a mama and daddy. Okay? Mm -hmm. So that that's what I need to say first. The orphan spirit is not a demonic spirit. The orphan spirit is the broken destitute, rejected, and abandoned human soul that mm. has come into agreement through its woundedness with the lies of the enemy over its life. And mm. the first place we address this orphan spirit isn't in our children, it's in ourselves. And the more time we spend loving our own souls, allowing Abba, Papa God, to mm. love and to minister to our wounded heart, the more we will demonstrate sonship to the lives around us and they will reflect us. Children are mirrors. So mm. the most important thing we can do is to be sons ourselves, to understand how deeply we are loved and to allow ourselves to be loved. If we do that, oh my goodness, everything else, literally everything else will fall into place. Wow. When the children come into our homes, what will they be coming into? The environment of sons. They, they'll, it'll be uncomfortable. It'll be weird. It'll be feel different than any other environment that they've ever experienced. And all of a sudden, what is inside of them that God has placed in there the scripture mm -hmm. says that he has placed eternity in our hearts in uh, Ecclesiastes, I think, chapter three. It says that he has placed eternity in our hearts. Mm -hmm. The eternity will become awake. It'll start to wake up inside of the broken child. And what do they need from you? They need the embrace of a mama and daddy. Mm -hmm. They need to be held physically and emotionally. They, it, it needs to be okay for them to be a mess, to break your stuff. And how will it be okay if 
you are love. If you know that your your china that they made maybe just broke doesn't define you, that's not, it's actually not the end of the world if they break some stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Preparing yourself by walking in sonship is the best way to be ready to adopt. Then, you know, other than that, you know, there's things, of course, there's things that you can do. You can read books on sonship. You can read Kitchen Table Kingdom. You can read uh, uh, Healing the Orphan Spirit by Leif Hetland. Great book, really great book, totally ministered to my spirit. And he was the one who said the church needs to understand that the orphan spirit is not a demonic spirit. Mm. So that really changed the way I thought about the orphan spirit. It changed the way I ministered to people who were carrying the orphan spirit because we often treat demonized people like they do it to themselves, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And of, oftentimes they do. They bring themselves into agreement with the demonic, but oftentimes the root of that demonization is trauma. Yeah. It's trauma. Yeah. I always say, look for the wound and you'll find the covenant. Mm. Look for the wound and then you will reveal in that person what, what covenant they need to break. Right. So when a child says to you, you know, begins to describe, which will happen if you take in a child who you're adopting, And by the way, thank you so, so, so much for being willing to adopt a child. Especially, I would say, if you're considering adopting out of foster care. Because everybody wants a baby. But who wants a seven-year-old who's already traumatized? Yeah. And that is the generation who needs us. So if you're considering adoption, would you please pray about adopting out of foster care? Because that gen- the generation that's already alive in the world, they need us so badly. Mm. So love, love yourself. Allow Abba to love you. Starfish in the presence of the Lord. Receive your sonship from God. Allow him to heal your orphan spirit. Mm. And then create an atmosphere in your home where sonship is the norm. We're making mistakes is not the end of the world where there's mercy and forgiveness. Practice with your spouse. It's a great place to practice because <laughs> your child, your, your spouse is really just a big child. <laughs> also wounded, right? Whether you're a man who's married to a woman or a woman who's married to a man, your spouse is just the wounded child. Mm. So practice loving the orphan spirit and embracing the orphan in your spouse Practice um, healing the orphan spirit in your spouse. And when a child, this is what I was going to say, when a child begins to share with you. Thanks for listening. The Elijah Fire podcast is made possible by donations like yours. To become a partner, visit ElijahFire.com slash give. A situation as they trust you. Think you'll be like at the dinner table or folding clothes or watching a cartoon. And then all of a sudden the child will be like, my father raped me. Or... I remember when my mom, uh, she she threw a rock and, and broke a window in our house. Or uh, I remember when my father overturned the table in our house. And I remember I was standing on the road and, um, and the police came. And I don't remember how I even got on the road. I was just standing on the road and the police mm. came and took me away. And, or I remember when, you know, whatever, when my brother did this to me or my sister did this to me. Mm. And you'll have the opportunity in that moment to live out your sonship. 
Thank you for sharing that with me. You're mm -hmm. safe and you're loved and it's okay if that hurts. How are you mm -hmm. feeling about that? What are, mm -hmm. what are the emotions you're feeling? Well, I feel, I don't know how I feel. A lot of times they'll say, I don't know how I feel. I don't know. I don't know. Right? Because they, they're like, well, not there now. Things are a little better, especially in this crazy, weird environment where the cheeks are clean and the food is served three times a day. Right? Yeah. They'll yeah. just... They'll begin to, to, to manifest and show you their brokenness and you'll have the opportunity to embrace the orphan spirit. Wow. And, and wow. It, it, it'll cost you, you know? Sure. It, oh. It, very costly. Yeah. And totally wow. worth it. Hmm. Wow. So, and reach out to me. Reach out to me. If you're in the middle of your mm -hmm. um, adoption season, you know, maybe you're dealing with an escalated child and you're not sure how to de-escalate them. I can help you with that. You can reach out to me through my website. I'd love to help you if you're at the beginning of your adoption uh, process and you're wondering about how to adopt or where to adopt or what's the best mm -hmm. way to adopt in the United States right now. Reach out to me. I know people that I can connect you with, but uh, you're not alone. And this that's the last thing I would say. Don't adopt in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. Don't be isolated. There's a huge community of men and women who have adopted who are foster parents right now, who are dedicated to parenting this generation, and we cannot do it alone. When yeah. it gets hard, we need a community that's around us and supporting us. Excellent. Um, okay, so this question is a little bit off topic, but I think it would tie in nicely to some other stuff you talked about. Sure. Um, this is from Sistar April Showers. She says, can you ask Harmony to explain what she meant by many churches being deceived by encounters with the second heaven? So that wasn't exactly what I said. But what I did say was, and I'll just bring some clarity there because it was a pretty strong statement I said. What I said was that the Church of the, of the United States, many denominations, and I'm not talking about specific churches. I'm not condemning any specific church. But many churches are not having an impact. They're not influencing. They're not bringing healing to the family. And that's the main purpose of the church. That's why the church exists. The church exists to restore the family to its original design. So if a church is not directly confronting the things that are destroying the family, if the church is not confronting divorce, if the church is not confronting misogyny and abuse, if the church is not confronting pornography, if the church is not confronting absentee parenting, mm -hmm. if the church is not confronting a, an abdication of discipleship and education, if the church is not confronting the lack of fathers in the home, if the church is not empowering single moms in this hour, then we're not doing the damage to the darkness that we're supposed to do. And the enemy is happy about it. The enemy is actually saying, it's good. Keep doing what you're doing, mm. which is nothing. Mm. And that, that's the hard, cold facts. Most yeah. churches in the United States are operating under the consent. And th these were my words. Yeah, that I remember you saying it. The yes. consent. The, the second heavens have given them consent because they're not doing the work of the kingdom. 
Most denominations are perpetrating more bondage. They're not setting people free. They're not bringing healing. They don't even believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Most most denominations deny the yeah. power of the Holy Spirit altogether. Right. Most of them have replaced worship of the Bible where we were supposed to be worshiping the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And instead, now we worship a book. This book is valuable and inerrant and the living word of God, but it is not God. There mm. is no way that all of God can be contained within these pages. And we know it is true. Why? Because it says so of itself. In John chapter 21, it says, that if all the deeds and words of Jesus were written down, the world could not contain the books that would be written. And I, I believe that that was set on purpose to confront the spirit of religion that has tried to silence the spirit of prophecy. So when I said the churches are operating under consent of the second heavens, what I mean is really most religion is, is in league with darkness. Mm. most religion has is in agreement with with a demonic principality so for example i mean it just immediately it's like the jews right the jews i i've been reading the book of acts very powerful what god's been showing me in the book of acts mm. and in the book of acts we see especially in chapters 10 11 and 12 we see the operation of a spirit-filled dreams and visions driven church Mm -hmm. that was walking in the supernatural. Mm -hmm. Peter, you know, he sees the vision of the sheep coming down. He's, this is way off topic, but I think it's important for this hour. Mm -hmm. So we're just going for it. Peter sees the sheep coming down with the, with the animals within it. Mm -hmm. God says, kill and eat. You're hungry. He says, these are all unclean animals. I've never eaten anything that's unclean according to your law. God says to him, do not call unclean what I have called clean. And at the same time, a Gentile uh, centurion, one who was given authority over legions of armies, was on his knees in prayer and fasting, and he has an encounter with an angel who says, send for Peter. Mm. He's in Joppa having a, a vision about you right now. He'll be ready to come and teach you about the word of the living God. And here's the thing. He says, your prayers and your offerings have come up before you, before mm -hmm. the Lord. Prayers and offerings have come up before the Lord. This man was a man of prayer. So they're both having encounters with God. They end up coming together. Peter begins to preach the word. He says, I'm not even supposed to be in this house, but God told me not to call unclean what he hasn't called clean. The Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word. This is what's crazy. The Holy Spirit did not wait for the altar call. The Holy Spirit did not wait until everybody had said the sinner's prayer. Right? Mm -hmm. He fell upon all those who heard the word. And Peter said, well, I think we better baptize him. He didn't know what to do. I guess we'll baptize him. Wow. Um, and so they, the Gentiles received the gospel. Now, Peter goes back to the church. And what is the spirit of religion's response to the people of, uh, of the Gentile people receiving the gospel? 
the spirit of religion immediately begins to retaliate against the man of God because he's operating outside of the consent of the spirit of religion. Mm. Oh, that spirit of religion doesn't like it. Why? Because he's bringing the Gentiles into the family of God. Mm-hmm. And the spirit of religion was like, it's fine. Just preach the gospel here in Jerusalem. It's fine. You can operate under my consent. Yeah. As long as you don't cause me too much harm, as long as you don't make too much big of a ruckus, as long as you don't have too much effect on darkness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what does what happens? Peter very humbly, I think, I would have wanted to slap them, but Peter very humbly says, let me tell you what happened. It's not on me. The Holy Spirit decided to fall on all those who heard the word. Could I deny baptism to those who had received the third person of the Trinity? And isn't it incredible that the sign of salvation was not a prayer of repentance, but was the infilling and manifestation of the Holy Spirit when they all prayed in other tongues. Yeah. So what happened? It says that they ceased objecting. When the Spirit of God manifests, it shuts down the spirit of religion. And the very next chapter, chapter 12, we have another manifestation of retaliation. Now it's not the spirit of religion. It's the spirit of Herod. It's the government. And what do, what do they do? They murder James and throw Peter in prison. Apostolic authority and the one who had the audacity to open the iron curtain of the Gentile nations to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And what do the people do? They pray and they fast. And that brings the justice of God a government greater than the government of Herod Mm -hmm. begins to bring their edicts on the earth. God himself sends an angel to get Peter out of prison Mm -hmm. and Herod is struck down dead. With worms, right? He was like, yes. Yes. So why why do I share this? Because this is actually what's happening in the church right now. Yeah. God is moving powerfully and organically at the sheep level people we're we're not waiting for permission Mm -hmm. we are going after the things of god people who have their no names they're not great ministers they're not people on stages they are in their closets in prayer in repentance in fasting including myself and many many others hundreds of thousands upon the face of the earth they are weeping between the altar and the portico they are fasting before the lord of course the spirit of religion is pissed of Mm -hmm. course right the spirit of religion is angry the spirit of government is angry but the truth is if we will fast and pray God will bring the church out of its bondage. Mm -hmm. God will bring the church out of its bondage to the spirit of religion and the spirit of government. That's what needs to happen in this hour. So Mm -hmm. in, in, in the last episode, I just happened to say what I believe to be true. The church needs to come out of its agreement with Mm -hmm. the principalities Mm -hmm. and the church needs to begin to heal the family like never before because this is the heart of the father and it's how we do the most damage to darkness 
Yeah. I actually think that would be a nice place to segue into the topic that you have of the, the five horsemen. Um, because yes. that you addressed as some of your points that the, you feel the church should be addressing as things that are really coming against the family unit right now in terms of child rearing and um, just the cultural appropriation of right and wrong. Like, yeah. <laughs> yes. So would you like to go ahead and. Sure. I, I agree with you, Jen. I think that's a perfect segue because the enemy has released five principalic strategies against our children. And the truth is the church has been silent on them. Yeah. Or when the church has spoken, it has been through vitriol against children. Mm. Instead of addressing the one assigned to destroy them. That is the issue here. It is not the baby's fault. It is not the 12 year old who has been molested and raped and now thinks she's a boy. It is not her fault. And that's the first thing I want to say. I want to say that the children are not the issue. The issue in our society are what's happening in the principalities, the strategies that have been released against them, and a silent, impotent, and ineffective church. Ouch. <laughs> but that mm. is the truth. That is the truth. Ah, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. But I, I, well, and I think if, just if I could help bring some clarity to a, just as a separate, maybe secondary opinion, mm -hmm. the reason why I would agree with that statement is because had these messages been proclaimed from our loudest pulpit pulpits, most popular pulpits, we as a church would have been equipped ahead of time to know how to rightly and righteously appropriate some of the messaging that's been coming at us yeah. instead of for whatever reason fighting one another and arguing over moral issues that really the baseline should be scripture the baseline should be god's word the baseline should be what i i would say as christians we should be taught and equipped and empowered to yeah. go to the word to be you know good bereans like Yes. Like as referenced and go to the word ourselves, search the scriptures. Mm -hmm. um, and I yeah. think that I think that there's been a lot of confusion and God is not the author of confusion. Let's just say that, too. That's what the Bible says. God is not the author of confusion. Yes. So if there is confusion present, that means there's an absence of the revelation of the word of God. Absolutely. Period. So yes. just to kind of piggyback on what Harmony is saying, that we as a, as a church body of Christ would be far more equipped and empowered to be managing these situations. Had these messages been from our largest, loudest pulpits from the yes. get go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, is that I'm not, I don't have that platform, which means yeah. God probably downloaded these messages to somebody other than me and they didn't listen. So, God uses his trumpets. He uses his mouthpieces. He uses his Elijahs. So the question is, who did he tell? And who decided that their specific pet ministry was more important than rescuing an entire generation? 
So, and, and we need to repent as a church. We have cared too much about our ministries. We have cared too much about our popularity. We've cared too much about our bank accounts. We've cared too much about our homes and properties. And there's so many people I know who won't become foster parents because they say, well, don't they, you know, isn't it hard on your property? Isn't it hard on your, your stuff, your, your, you know, your home, your, the walls, the beds, the everything. I'm like, yes, it is. Come on now. Is that really what matters? Right. Mm -hmm. Is it really what matters? But unfortunately it is what matters to many. And God is asking us, and it's, it's uncomfortable, but it's true. He's asking us to repent, which means to turn around and go the other direction. And mm -hmm. I don't ask you to go without me. I'm asking you to follow me. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean like, do whatever I tell you to do. I don't mean like, you know, I'm God, follow me. I don't mean that. I mean, I'm, I've already gone there. Yeah. I've already parented this generation and I still am. So just yeah. follow my example. I, I'm not asking you to do something I'm not willing to do myself. I've already done it. 19 children worth. Plus, I've, I've worked in the public schools where most people won't even go. Right. I have ministered to transgender children in my classroom and seen their lives turn around. I'm not asking you to do what I haven't been willing to do. And I'm telling you right now, miracles are possible because I've seen them. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you right now, Abba will empower you. I'm telling you right now that he will provide for you. I'm telling you that you don't have to do it alone but somebody has to do it. And my question is, will it be you? Will it be you? Will it be you? That is what Abba is saying in this hour. Son and daughter, will I search for an intercessor? Someone to stand between me and my people who will stand in the gap? And will I find none or will I find you? So we're talking about the five principalic strategies against this generation. And the first one has everything to do with sonship and it's gender confusion. Mm. The interesting thing about it is even in our Bibles, in the way that we translate the word, we have started to veer towards gender, gender neutral terms. And the reason we do that is because we want women to feel included. And I agree. I think women should be included for sure, right? But there is a reason why, for example, in Galatians chapter three, and I'm going to go there right now, and we'll find out how the, the uh, Passion Translation interprets Galatians chapter three. There's a reason why Paul says the word son when he uses it. He uses the word son on purpose. That's what we need to understand. Nothing in the scripture is ever a, um, an accident. Right. Everything is purposeful. Wow. Okay. So, and the, the, and this is where it gets hard. Okay. Because even in my passion translation that I love, I love my passion translation. We have the gender neutral word children instead of sons. So in mm -hmm. verse, uh, Galatians chapter three, Verse 26, it says, you have all become true children of God by faith in Jesus, the anointed one. It was faith that immersed you into Jesus, the anointed one. And now you have covered and clothed, you are covered and clothed with his anointing. And we no longer see each other in our former state, Jew or non-Jew, rich or poor, male or female, because 
we're all one through our union with Jesus Christ, with no distinction between us. And since you've been united to Jesus the Messiah, you are now Abraham's quote-unquote child and inherit all the pro promises of the kingdom realm. Now, this yeah. is an awesome translation. There's so many good things being spelled out here for us, made clear through the Passion Translation. But I would disagree with the use of the word children and the word child. Now, why? Why do I disagree with that? Because God himself, within the culture that this was released, wanted to elevate all to the space of the firstborn son, to the inheritance of the firstborn son, hmm. to the position of power and authority of a firstborn son. So God purposefully uses the word son because in this culture, Second-born sons and daughters were not as valuable. And God is saying, it doesn't matter if you were born a girl. You are a first-born son. It doesn't matter if you were born a, uh, a second-born or third-born. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter that your first-born brother will get 90% of the inheritance and you only get 10% because your father in heaven says you hold the same position and authority. You walk in the same position and authority and you carry the same power and you receive the same inheritance as your big brother, Jesus. Right. And that's why he used the word son. Yeah. And that is what we need to get back to in our culture. We yeah. need to release sonship over our children. And if we will do so, we will be able to break the power of the spirit of gender confusion that is coming against this nation. Yeah. Coming against a generation of children who are, they're in pain because they don't know who they are. Mm -hmm. And this starts very young. This starts when the baby is in the arms of the father and mother. This is the place where we begin to affirm them. You know, in our culture, we like to use the term gender affirming. Yeah. Well, I think we should be gender affirming. I think we should affirm the gender that Abba gave you when the, yeah. the egg and the sperm came together. If you received an X and a Y, you are a male. And if you received an X and an X, it's a double portion, you are a female. And if you have, for example, if you have Kleinfelters and you have an X, X and a Y, you are a male because the presence of a Y makes you a male, okay? And God will show you and teach you how to manifest your maleness. He'll show you all the unique ways that you get to be a man. It does not have to look like the football throwing, wrestling, fighting, you know, sort of male, a business yeah. shark, you know. It can look different. It can look like an artist. It can look like a male fashion designer. There's a million, in fact, there's three points five billion ways to be a man yeah and god will teach you how he has uniquely designed you to manifest 
your gender, the gender that he gave you when you were conceived. And it doesn't have to look like anybody else, but it is his design and not ours. Yeah. And this begins as the child is in your arms, you begin to affirm them. You get to be, begin to speak truth over them. You can teach your children at the very beginning of time, God said, let us create human beings in our likeness and let us, let's give them authority. Let's give them a big old stewardship. Let's give them all the animals in the sea and the animals on the land. And let's let them steward them and care for them. And so he created you, son, daughter. He created you in the image of God. You are an image bearer. And we begin to speak truth over our children. The power of sonship is in the tongue. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and this is how we combat confusion. This yeah. is how we break gender confusion. I mean, really, there should be no confusion at all. Because the voice of the father and the voice of the mother is speaking life over the child. If you have a son who loves to bake, boy, I would embrace yeah. that. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I think the problem in our society, and it's been a problem in the church too, is that we have pigeonholed men and women. You have to look a certain way and act a certain way and dress a certain way, and you have to like specific things. Yeah. Well, what if God gave you a composer for a son and not a football player? Right. Is that okay with you? Right? Is it okay with you? And this yeah. is the amazing anointing of the parent to see accurately in the spirit realm what your child was intended to be you know i i knew you know in in the case of one of my sons i knew before he came to me because the lord told me your firstborn son will be a prophet to the nations now i i also didn't know that he would be an incredible artist and he wouldn't like sports at all <laughs> I didn't know that, but the moment I began to see, oh, look how his art gift and his prophetic gift work together. Look how he draws and paints and, and, and he loves to draw cartoons and look how he, he expresses his sonship through art and through the prophetic. It's so powerful. Yeah. It's like being image bearers of God. God decided to deposit an element of himself inside of you, Harmony, and inside of me yes. that could, without knowing you, I wouldn't know that element of, of who God is. And in and, and you, he decided to express that part of himself female. And in me, he decided to express that self, that side female. And then like in Jeff, he deposited a piece of himself in Jeff and decided to express that male. And it's kind of like our job to go, okay, image bearer of God, my child. Yes. Chosen to be expressed through this male body, chosen to be expressed through this female body. God, yes. what are you saying about what I'm supposed to pull on? Right? Yes. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it doesn't have to, it can be, you know, it can be uh, things that because of culture, because of cultural norms, we've said, oh, those are kind of, 
female um, uh, uh, tendencies, characteristics, or characteristics, or female um, likes and dislikes, or female okay. female um, hobbies. Right. Okay. We've the, we're the ones who put those things on those things. Right. Mm -hmm. We're the ones that mm -hmm. label those things female. God doesn't say that. His word doesn't say that men are warriors only. Help Elijah Fire continue to make an impact around the world. All donations go toward making Elijah Fire and the Elijah Fire podcast possible. Visit ElijahFire.com slash give and become a partner today. Only men are warriors. He does call men warriors, but he doesn't say only men are warriors and women are not or only men are business owners and women are not. In fact, you find the opposite in the scripture. Yeah, the yes, epitome of femaleness in Proverbs 31 is yeah. a business owner. Yeah. She's a serious shark. She's yeah. smart, right? Yeah. And, and so the idea that, or, you know, think about JL at the gate of the home. She was a complete yeah. warrior. She was- That's who warrior. I thought of when you said that about warriors. I was like, well, she drove a stake through- <laughs> Was his Barack's? I think that was who it was. It was actually Cicero. It was there. Barack, we go. But Barack was the Hebrew a general who go. was victorious. Yeah, you're right though. She was a cr crazy warrior woman. Yeah. It, it it doesn't matter if you are a man or woman, in as much as it matters what God has placed within you, that he will express, as you said, through your maleness or through your femaleness, but it can look different in every person. Mm -hmm. Some of the greatest, we know, some of the greatest fashion designers in the world are men. Yeah. Right? And they, yeah. that doesn't make them effeminate. That makes right. them crazy creative. Right. And so we have to allow our sons, we have to recognize within our sons and daughters what God has planted there and place a demand on it, as you say. Yeah. And as we do that, as we use our voices, and the, I write these declarations in my book. If you're talking to your son, you are son of the Most High God. If you're talking to your daughter, you are daughter of the King of Kings. You are royalty. You are created in the image of the Trinity. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Papa God formed you in my womb or in your mother's womb in the case of my sons, right? Um, everything about you is special and purposeful. Papa mm -hmm. God knows how many hairs are on your head. You are strong in the Lord. You have the mind of Christ. You're a son or a daughter of this family. Mm -hmm. You belong in this family. I choose you daily as my son or daughter. Now, as an adoptive parent, I yeah. think God taught me intentionality mm. in a way that sometimes biological parents, they don't walk in this level of intentionality because they don't necessarily see the need. Mm. But in this hour, friends, as the principality of gender confusion of, is trying to break the power of sonship, we must be intentional, whether our children are naturally born or adopted or fostered, okay? Yeah. Gotta yeah. go after it. Yeah. And that, that is what will break the power of this principality. That's great. So intentionality, we can't have a passive and, um, one thing that I have found too, when it comes to this, it, there, because we're trying, yeah, you have to start to look 
for the things that the messaging that could be influencing your children. It may mean some inconveniences. It may mean some hard conversations. So just, you know, yeah, it's one of those. Yeah. So it's one of those things where on the, on the flip side, because the, on the, the aggressor is being very intentional. Yes. We have to counter that by being very intentional. That is exactly right. And the thing is, if, if this top this topic of gender confusion, the way we combat it is by starting at birth. But many mm-hmm. of us have children who, you know, perhaps we didn't know to be intentional and now they're 10. Perhaps sure. we didn't know what, maybe we just got saved or maybe we just figured out, oh, I can be prophetic. I need to prophesy over my children. I didn't even right. know that. I didn't even right. know there was such a thing as a spirit of prophecy. There's so many of us who grow up in religion, who grew up in, in agnosticism or atheism, who don't even know these things until they're taught them. And what I want right. to say to you is, Abba is right now going to download to you how to address this thing. Whether your child is newborn or 10, the, the most important thing you can do is be the first and the last voice that your children hear every single day. You need to be the most prominent sound in their heads. This is like I said on Friday. I literally have a mother who sits on my shoulder. She's constantly speaking to me. I hear her all the time. 99% of what I hear is very powerful, very prophetic, and very good. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that is the that's what my mama built in me. She built her voice. And I actually wrote a poem called My Mother's Voice. And it's my mother's voice number two because my mother wrote a poem. Voice. Why do I share that? Because both she and I understood the power of our mother's voices. And we have capitalized on that by being the most powerful voice in our children's lives. Okay. And that's what you can do. Even if, if your child is going to public school, you ought to be asking them every single day what are you learning? What are you learning in science? What are you learning about gender? You, this is the, the law of first mention, friends. I believe in the law of first mention. Don't wait until your child is coming home and telling you about sexual education to have these co- hard conversations. That's the entire reason why we decided to have a fifth uh, episode, right? Because mm-hmm. we want to empower you today to have a conversation with your children that you were afraid to have. Yeah. Whether your child is five, or 10 or 15, today is the day when you sit down and have a conversation that maybe you should have had years ago, but you're going to start today because you are on fire, you are empowered, and God is with you, and he's on your side, and that's why we're doing this. We're doing this for you. I also want to add in, because this is a quote directly from your book, because I started reading your book over the weekend. You said something that I like, because I got the note-taking one, I like wrote like in the margins, which was, God has appointed for you to succeed. And I just kept writing that over and over and over again in the margins. I was like, God has appointed me to succeed. God has appointed for me to succeed. That, I think the thing that you said in chapter one should be the thing to just remove the weight, I think, off of any of us who could be feeling guilt or shame. Just take heart. God in his great mercy decided and appointed for you to be successful in this yes. mission. 
that yes. he so you may have all this opposition coming against you but he has decided you will succeed yes so take courage and take heart that yes. i i just yes i i wanted to say that because you wrote that with your own word thoughts in the book <laughs> yes and you know what immediately i feel like the spirit of prophecy is is present some of you might be thinking yeah but i've already failed well mm -hmm. i want you to think about david so David, he was, you know, um, had moments of great success and great failure. And he had moments where he came under great attack and he was living in a cave at this point in his life. Um, actually, no, this was after he got out of the cave, but he was living in a town called Ziklag. And during his time in the cave, the many, many hundreds of people had been drawn to him and had, get, and had come to live with him in the cave. Mm -hmm. And um, including his own family had been drawn to him, which is a beautiful renewal and restoration for David. Yeah. And at this point, they were living in a city called Ziklag, and they had just gone out to fight a battle. Mm -hmm. And he was doing the will of the Lord. He yeah. comes back. His entire town has been burned to the ground. Right. And uh, all of his wives and children on all of the wives and children of all the men who had been fighting with him had all been taken captive. Now, that is a moment of failure, yeah. okay, if from, from the perspective of David, from the perspective of the men whose families had been taken captive, they're all thinking to themselves, you did this to me first of all. Why did I follow this guy? Right. Yeah. Oh, crazy man. Now, my children are gone. Guess what they wanted to do? They wanted to murder David. Yeah. And you know what David did? He encouraged himself in the Lord. So he didn't turn the conversation. He got along with Jesus and he was like, all right, not Jesus, but Yahweh. Yeah. He got along with Yahweh and he was like, God has called me to succeed. God has ordained that my children would live and declare the works of the Lord. Yeah. God has ordained that I would live and not die. God told me that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I'm just pulling all this stuff from the Psalms. Okay. These are all the words of David. God is with me. My enemies will be scattered. I'm strengthening myself in the Lord. All right. So maybe you had a bad day and your kids are all behaving like prodigals. Or maybe you have a, an, a grown parent, a grown child, who's maybe even your grandchildren are suffering right now. And you're like, okay, I failed. Now my grandchildren are suffering. I'm just, we're being real, real right now. We're, we're, yeah. we're speaking mm -hmm. real right now. My, my grandchildren are suffering. It feels like I can't do anything about it because my grandchildren are living with my prodigal son or daughter. Everybody's, it's all a mess. Maybe they won't even talk to me. Maybe they won't receive wisdom from me. I know I'm, I'm talking to somebody right now. I'm talking to somebody. Friends, you need to get with Jesus. You need to have a conversation. Okay. Zikleg is burned. My people want to murder me, but I'm about to, I am about, to encourage myself in the Lord and declare what God has said. You have determined, you have declared that I will succeed, that my children will know you and serve you. Yeah. Oh God, I bring my thought life right now into agreement with what you have decreed over my life. I, it's all right, Ziklag is burning, but there's, there's about to be a strategy Released yeah. to me. There is about to be a change 
in the environment of my home. There is about to be a shift in my relationship with my grown children. There is about to be a heart change in my broken child's life. Something is about to happen. Happen, And I believe you, God, you are more powerful than my circumstances. So what happened? What did they do? He comes out of his private time with Jesus, with Yahweh. And he says, we need to inquire the Lord and find out what to do next. Yeah. God has downloaded strategies for you so that you can, you can walk in victory, whether it's walking in victory with your own children or with your grown children or with your grandchildren, God is going to give you the victory. Yeah. So and I will, if I can just add in too, the Amalekites who came and took those people, they were like nasty. Like if you look in your, if you do any kind of history on the type of uh, worship they were doing, it was all, it was basically the kind of stuff our culture is leading people into. So it's, yep. I find it very significant as well that the enemy that came against David at Ziklag was the type of enemy we, we find ourselves facing now who are trying to carry our children away, our women and our children away, Ooh. you know? So I just, there is a prophetic significance to that. And you can read this story. I just looked it up in first Samuel chapter 30 with the Amalekites and you just do a little bit of research on who were the Amalekites. Why Why was this a big deal? And what were they worshiping? Who were they worshiping? And if I remember correctly, there was a lot of child sacrifice that would happen within the Amalekites. So um, yes. blood sacrifices. I mean, it was nasty stuff. So yeah. we're not, it's not a foreign enemy, right? Exactly. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. So yeah. we can... Yeah. So just adding to that from your point, it's a very similar type of situation. Powerfully prophetic. Yes. And I would add to that, Saul was called by God to slaughter every living Amalekite yes. under the face of the sun. Mm -hmm. But because the father of the nation would not obey God, the Amalekites were back in less than one one less than one generation later, yeah, the Amalekites are back with power, yeah, and able to burn Ziklag to the ground. This is why it's so important, friends, that fathers and mothers encourage themselves in the Lord. Rise up in this hour, friends. Rise up because the principalities are the same. Yeah, those who have arrayed themselves against this generation are no different than the principalities that arrayed themselves against David and the principalities of Babylon that arrayed themselves against the, the generation of Daniel. Yeah. There is no difference. And God is asking you, not somebody else, you. Will you be the one to address these principalities? And the way we do it is using our voices mm -hmm. in the lives of our children. Yeah. If you're facing a child, a child comes to you and says, I think I might be a boy. I think I might be a girl. What I want you to do, first of all, is hug them. What I want you to do first is connect with them emotionally. But because what they're saying isn't, I'm a boy. If it's a girl, I'm a boy. Or if it's a boy, I'm a girl. That's not what they're telling you. That's what you need to understand right now. They're telling you, I don't feel loved. Mm -hmm. I don't feel accepted. Mm -hmm. 
I, I believe I'm worthless mm-hmm. and I feel rejected. And mm-hmm. oftentimes those feelings of, of abandonment and rejection, they can be generational. Maybe if there's a divorce going on in the family, always look first, not at the child, but at the adults. What is happening in your home? Yeah. How can you begin to connect with them emotionally, spiritually, and physically through affection, through hugs and kisses and snuggle? Mm-hmm. You can say, oh, my darling, if it's a girl, you are the most amazing girl that God has ever formed. And I want you to embrace who God made you to be as I am embracing you right now. You are a treasure. You're the most amazing girl I've ever met. Yes, you. maybe you like to throw the ball. Maybe you like to get out and cut down trees or be dirty or whatever it is or put the hook, worm on a hook, right? Maybe you like the things that boys like. That does not make you a boy. That makes you a Gabor. You are a warrior woman called to fight, called to, to, to run with the, with the warriors, called to be powerful as a woman. Yeah. And you can begin to address, first of all, the lie and address the root of the issue because it's not the child. Yeah. The root of the issue is never the child. So you must uncover what is the issue. Are they getting messages from school? Are right. they getting messages in your own home? Yeah. Are they seeing like, well, boys are treated better than girls are. A lot of times that's been the truth, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe it's fun to be a boy. Maybe mm-hmm. we've made it look like boys have a better life than girls. And maybe we need to work on that as Christians, right? Yeah. There's reasons why these things exist in our culture. We have allowed them to crop up instead of addressing them. Yeah. So we can do that. We are the ones who have to address the root issue. Yeah. So any, okay. any questions or comments about gender confusion? There's so much that we can talk about this issue. But if you're dealing with this right now, I just want you to know we love you. Oh, and yes. If you are an adult who struggles with gender identity, you are a treasure and you are loved. Mm. And, and we're not asking you to figure it all out. We're asking you to let Jesus love you. Yeah. I want to say this. I want to prophesy over any person who's dealing with same-sex attraction or gender confusion. You are a treasure. You are beautiful. You are precious, and we're not asking you to change. We're asking you to be loved. We believe that as God embraces you, change will happen naturally. Yeah. But we're not asking you to change. When I came to know, when I came into freedom, it wasn't because I had it all figured out. I'm someone who lived the lesbian lifestyle. I know the pain that drives those choices. I know the wounds underneath the bravado and the strength that you're showing to the world. And I want you to know, although we do not agree with your lifestyle choices, you are a treasure. You are beautiful. You are, if you're a lesbian, you are a princess in the house of God. If you are a homosexual man, you are a treasure to your father. Your papa loves you. And over time, we believe that God can heal you. We're going to talk talk a little bit more about that. But before we get to homosexuality. I want to talk a little bit if, if we're ready to transition to the next. You, you go right ahead. All right. I want us to talk about sexual assault. Mm-hmm. So the truth is children are experiencing sexual assault at an unprecedented rate. 
Yeah. That it's one in, I think it's like, it's down to like one in three girls will experience some type of sexual assault before they're 18. So that's like 30, 30%, 33%. So it's that's... between three and four. So it was one in four for a fairly long time. Wow. But it's actually, it's not gotten better. It's gotten worse, friends. Wow. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, much, it's much less for boys. Hmm. Let's think about that for a minute. Okay. Like we have not created a world where girls are safe. So it should not surprise us that women are turning to homosexuality and wanting to change their gender. Mm -hmm. And what's fascinating as a teacher in the education system, the vast majority of children who were questioning their gender were women, were girls. Not boys, because it's not dangerous mm -hmm. to be a boy. It is dangerous to be a girl in this world. It is little girls most of the time. And that that's, we're talking about statistics here, not Harmony's opinion, but statistics mm -hmm. on sex trafficking and sexual assault. The majority of them are happening to girls and women. So we need to create a world where it is safe and desirable to be a girl. Mm -hmm. It's okay. It's amazing if you were born a girl. You are a treasure. You are a princess. You are a queen. And you are powerful. And it is amazing to be a girl. So I, I, I think we have to start this by raising sons who are abolitionists and advocates. When, when little girls and little boys, when they're very small, we must begin to teach them that their bodies carry the image of God as well as yeah. their spirits. Yeah. Right? We have to yeah. teach them that their private parts, their vaginas and penises, okay, it's been said, are not curse words. Mm -hmm. They're not something to sweep under the rug or to never speak about. The vagina and the penis are amazing creations of God. Yeah. And it is okay to talk about them. It is okay to have questions about them. It is okay to be curious about them. This one, I'm saying we got to create a different type of culture here, right? Where mm -hmm. we can talk about body parts. Where, where, if my son, you know, I, I don't have any daughters. I just have sons, mm -hmm. and they're gonna have questions about girls. Yeah, right. They're gonna have questions about girl bodies. Mm -hmm. I'm the only girl body in the building, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to want to ask questions. And how do I respond to them? Do yeah. I make it look like it's shameful to ask me questions? Right. This starts at a very young age. And as you're talking about gender, and that's becoming your norm, there's a reason why we address these in a certain order. We start with gender. We start with sonship, right? Mm -hmm. And then we move on to the issue of sexual assault. Because in our homes... We're going to start with gender affirming speech. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are mm -hmm. a child. You were created in the image of God. The next thing we're going to address is the divinity and the beauty of the body. Yeah. We're going to be talking to them about how to, how to honor our bodies, our amazing, my amazing female body, my amazing male body that God gave me. That's meant to be strong and it's meant to be honored and it's meant to be protected. Mm -hmm. They go hand in hand. You see that? Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and we want to create an environment in our home where our kids can ask us anything without mm -hmm. us freaking out. Right. Yeah. Right. 
we can talk about anything, any question, any, yeah. anything, anything, es especially, you know, like in this culture we're living in. And if you're a parent like me, who's taken in foster kids, who's, they've already been exposed to a bunch of things I had no control over. Yeah. They may have already seen the opposite sex, the body parts of the opposite. Right. They may have already seen pornography. They mm -hmm. may have already been assaulted, right? Mm -hmm. And the truth is these things happen in our homes and they happen in the world. They yeah. happen in the church. Yeah. And the more we talk about the body in the home, the more we will raise a generation of children who now know how to say to an adult who's trying to misuse their body, mishandle their body, no, don't touch me. Yeah. I want a three-year-old girl. I want every three-year-old toddler to be able to say, no, this is my body. Don't touch me. Yeah. Even if that means sometimes that child gets to say no to me, right? Maybe that I want a hug from that child. We do. This is, this is the policy in kid ministry where I am at. Mm -hmm. You don't take a hug from a child. You, ask you say, me, can I have a hug? That's yeah. it. And yeah. if they want to give you a hug, your response should be that. Oh, I like your body boundaries. <laughs> you have the right to tell me no. Good job. Can yeah. we do a high five instead? Awesome. I like that high five. Yeah. We have perpetrated an environment where children can't say no to adults. Mm. And I, as a, as a foster mom to a toddler girl, mm -hmm. I had the privilege of raising a spitfire who knew how to say no. Mm. And that to me is the greatest legacy. She doesn't yeah. live with me anymore. She, you know, she's still a part of our lives and I love her like a daughter, but that is the legacy that I implanted in her life. So how would you encourage people to begin? Maybe they did, maybe they grew up in a home where these conversations were off topic or they were shameful or they yeah. just weren't something you talked about. What, what kind of encouragement would you offer people to begin to have the courage to speak about these things? Yeah. with confidence or maybe are there resources they could look into? What would you recommend? Well, um, that's a great question. I think, uh, I, I don't know a lot of resources on this topic. That's mm. part of the issue. And that's why we address it in, in kitchen table kingdom. Obviously I definitely recommend kitchen table kingdom, but I I'm mm -hmm. sure there are other resources, but what I would do is I would begin in your marriage. I would begin practicing open conversations with adults you trust because okay. the more it becomes your norm, like if it's really uncomfortable and you're like, okay, I've never talked to like, I've never, my mom and I never talked about these things. My dad and I yeah. never talked about these things. I found out about these things on the bus, which is 90% of the problem. Right? <laughs> we believe in the law of first oh, mention boy. people, the yeah. law of first mention. Really? Mm -hmm. How sad is it? When a child comes into the house and says, mom, two girls on the bus were talking about something called oral sex and I don't know what it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is what they were saying. And you just realized that those two teenagers painted a nasty, disgusting, perverted picture of sexual intimacy that you could have painted yourself. Yeah. With glorious beauty. You could have said, Oh, such uh, oral sex is a beautiful gift 
between a, a husband and wife, this incredibly intimate, safe place of connection. And God mm. made it specifically as a, as a present that you right. give to your spouse. But now that's been stolen from you because you were afraid. Yeah. Yeah. And this is so practice with adults. And then this is what I, I want to say. Uh, understand that if you don't, someone else will. Who might not have the same filter or intention of goodness towards your child. Yeah, because there's a lot of groomers out there. If there's yeah. anything we've learned over the last six months, there are a lot of groomers out there. Yes. And, yeah. and to be frank, children are perpetrating on children yeah. more and more frequently. It's children exposing children to pornography. It's right. children exposing children to sexual conversations on the bus and at lunch and on the playground. Mm -hmm. It's a third grader exposing a first grader to yeah. pornography for the first time. So the yeah. question is, is that what you want? And hey, I'm willing to use the fear of the Lord. I know I believe in the fear of God. Okay. You, it'll either be you or it'll be somebody else. And you need to decide what you want. Yeah. It's time for the, the parents to grow some kahunas and say, I'm doing this even though I'm uncomfortable because I love my children yeah. and I'm not willing for the enemy to create the conversation. Why is it that we allow Satan to have all the fun conversations? <laughs> no, sex is glorious. There's not an icky thing about it. And we ought to be talking about it in church. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Somebody ought to be in the pulpit talking about how amazing oral sex is between a husband and wife. Yeah. Somebody ought to be saying that's a gift from God. Go for it, husbands and wives. Enjoy yourselves <laughs> and make sure you tell your children how amazing it is within the marriage bed. Okay? Right. Like, and I'm willing. Hey, if nobody else is willing, and this is the point, this is why God raised me up. Yeah. If no one else is willing, I am willing to say the things that others aren't willing to say. Yeah. But I'm not sitting at your kitchen table and you are. Right. All right? So I yeah. want to encourage you who are feeling afraid. It's time to get a backbone. It's time to get irritated at the devil. Right. right? The devil is messing with you and your kids. It's yeah. time for you to get ticked off. And and yeah. this is what I say. A lot of times in the Bible, it took drastic circumstances to get the people to do what they were supposed to do. Like what you're hearing? Help us continue to make Elijah Fire and the Elijah Fire podcast possible. To get behind this ministry, visit ElijahFire.com slash give. Now, back to the show. Is right. it going to take your child being assaulted or your child being exposed to pornography before you'll open your mouth? Right. I don't want that for you. Yeah. So let this be the sign you are looking for. Right? This if you are looking for this is your sign to just start. Oh my gosh. To start owning owning your language around these things. Yeah. Your thoughts and opinions around these things. Search the scriptures, search the word, search yes. your heart. Yes. May because you 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 said last week, our what we project about God will be your child's perception. And it's the same thing concerning these larger issues. Yes. within marriage, within uh, the community at large, when we have when we have the right perception of things, we are able to convey the right perception of things. And sometimes it is likely that some of the taboo topics become 
a stronghold or a stumbling block because they have been a taboo topic and that increases the curiosity. Yes. So I just think that is a really, really important thing that needs to be addressed uh, within the church culture, especially is don't leave the education of this very valuable element to curious child minds. (laughs) It's like, so in Germany, the drinking age is 16. Right. And before that, um, when you become confirmed in Germany, you're allowed to drink at home with your parents. Right. So by Mm -hmm. the time they get their driver's license at 18, alcohol has, has no hold on them. Right. When I was in high school in Germany, the Germans are not out getting drunk every night. That's right. Yeah. Yes. To your point, I've, I've known a few German, even German exchange students, and they would say the same thing. Like there just wasn't this issue with it. It was just like, well, it's just, it's like, it's what you do, you know? Right. It's like Sprite. Yeah. The thing is, is because they destroyed the taboo, it's no longer a stronghold in their children. Yeah. So we have to do the same with sexual uh, ideas and concepts. We have to be talking about them. I mean, I've said oral sex like four times now. Like I do it on purpose because somebody is offended. Somebody is uncomfortable right now. Somebody is saying, what's she saying that I'm like on live recording? Like, yes, I am. And I talk to my sons about it. And if they ask me questions about it, of course, I'm not I'm not sharing the personal details of the intimacy between me and my husband. I'm describing it in broad concept. And yeah. I'm telling them how amazing it will be when they save these beautiful things for their wives. Right. And and this right. is the thing we pray. We're getting ahead of ourselves, but we pray for their wives. We've we've talked about oh, what would you like in a wife? She's already alive. First of all. Their husband or their wife, excuse me, my son's wives, they're already alive. They're already in the earth today. And God is forming them and making them into the powerhouse women that my sons need. Mm-hmm. And those women, and this is what I tell my sons, are saving themselves for my sons. And so I ask my sons to, to save themselves for those special women. And, and in this language, I'm creating an atmosphere where my sons are like, my wife exists. She's treasured. She's important. And that that girl in front of me at school or whatever that wants to meet me on the playground and kiss me or wants this or wants that, it's probably not my wife. And I'm not going to give myself away. I'm not going to give my little th- third grade heart away to that person. Because mm-hmm. my wife is alive today. And I love her. And I, I care about her. And I'm going to make my decisions to bless my already alive wife. Isn't that powerful? Mm-hmm. And, and so the, I want to give you some examples of conversations and the, you can find these in my book, but I want to give you some examples of things you can say to your kids. We're about to start a new school year. Let's have a hard conversation yeah. right now. Okay. Yeah. Ahead of time. Say, yes. You can say mm-hmm. tonight at, at bedtime or at dinner time, really, really um, astonish your husband or wife tonight at dinner time and be like, we're about to start school. I want you to be safe when you're at school. So let's have a conversation about some things. First of all, we always go potty by ourselves. These are these are like how I would talk to a five-year-old. Mm-hmm. We go potty by ourselves. Let's practice shutting the door to the potty and having privacy. Privacy is a really powerful word 
that I teach to toddlers. So mm-hmm. when I want to yeah. get, a, maybe I want to help a child get dressed. Even if that child is my child, mm-hmm. I say to them, do you need mommy's help or would you like privacy? So my third, three-year-old can say, I want privacy, mommy. Yeah. I, I want to help. I want you to help me, mommy. Yeah. And they're using their voice. They have to because I asked them a question, right? Yeah. My very <laughs> strong-willed five-year-old is, I want privacy. <laughs> hey, you can be like, ooh, I like that. I like yeah. you advocated for yourself. Yeah. Now let's try it with some respect. I'd like yeah. you to, please, mommy, may I have privacy? Yes. You just turn it around, right? You just right. turn it around. And that's usually what I'll say. I'll say, please, mommy, can I have some privacy? And she'll just repeat after me. Yes. You're giving them the words for self-advocacy. I love it. You're winning as a parent, Jen. (laughs) Thank you. So you can say your private parts are special. Your penis is special. Your vagina is special. Mm -hmm. And it's not for other people's hands. Yeah. These are just conversations. You're just driving down the road one day and be like, how are your private parts feeling today? Are you itchy? Do you have any pain? Do you have any burning? How are you feeling in your private parts? Are you feeling good? Thank you for sharing with me. Like this should just be the norm, right? Mm, Like, mm. are you wiping correctly? Remember that we always wipe from front to back or whatever you like to say. Yes. All these things you can find in my book. Um, Do you need help or do you want privacy? You can have privacy whenever you want it. If a big person tries to touch your penis or vagina, I want you to yell, no, don't touch me. Okay, let's practice. No, don't touch me. Go ahead and tell me. No, don't touch me. Good job. Good job. Now, these are the same things. These are the same children I say, who are safe adults in your life? Mommy, daddy, the doctor. Mommy, daddy, the doctor. These are the people who are allowed to look at your private parts. And if they need to move things around just to make sure things are safe, that's okay. To make sure things are healthy, you know, if we need to look at the at the private part, it's okay. It's safe, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you're teaching safety. You're teaching them who is allowed to see their private parts. Not everybody is allowed, right? right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So then we say, what what would we do if a friend? Let and you can use a, a friend's name. What would you do if so-and-so tried to touch your vagina? What would you do if so-and-so tried poked your penis? Would you like that? No, that wouldn't be very nice. What should you say? No, don't touch me. Yeah. And go to an adult you can trust. Let's practice, right? Mm. So obviously you're not mm-hmm. going to poke them in the private parts, but you're going to pretend. Right. Now tell me, no, don't touch me, right? Mm-hmm. And they're going to practice this language of self-advocacy. If you're in the bathroom and someone is tries to come in your stall. Now that could happen, right? That mm-hmm. could happen to anybody. So yeah. what should they say? You say, no, thank you. Right? Hold out your hand, shut the door. No, thank you. Because that might not, it might not be a predator, right? It might just be somebody who went in the wrong stall. Right. They right. Just say, no, thank you. I need privacy. Okay, let's practice. Right? So you're going to practice these behaviors and you can just work it in at bath time, right? You right. can just work it in as you're driving down the road. These can just be normal parts of your conversation so that when they get to school, this is their norm. And then here we go. This is an important part. If a teacher or a stranger asks you to sit on their lap, I want you to say, no, thank you. 
and go directly to a safe adult. So mm -hmm. a child should be able to say, no, I don't want to sit on your lap. Now, mm -hmm. again, that's going to happen to you then, right? Right. You're going to want to hold your child and your, your child's going to say, no, thank you, mama. And you have to be like, oh, I like how you advocated for yourself. Thank you don't have to sit on my lap. Maybe we can show affection a different way, right? Can mm -hmm. I give you a hug? Can we do this? Can we do that? Fine, right? And then obviously the next moment they want to sit, might want to sit on your lap. Mm -hmm. We're teaching them it's okay to say no. Mm -hmm. In the culture we are in, we must empower our children to say no. Mm -hmm. In a respectful, kind way, especially when talking to a trusted adult, Mm -hmm. It's important that they show respect and they can practice that at home with you. All right. So that's like five to eight years old. These are things that we can say to them. But when we're talking to a little bit older children, our language needs to develop. Right. Mm -hmm. And we need to include more information. We mm -hmm. need to have harder conversations. So then we, we might ask questions like this. Are you feeling safe with the adults in your classroom? Mm. Has any adult or friend tried to touch, grab, or play with your private parts? My job is to keep you safe. So I need to know if anyone has tried to hurt your private parts. This is just normal conversation. We're having it on a regular basis. If our children are mm -hmm. outside of our home under the care of any other adult, this should be the norm. Mm -hmm. Have any of your friends tried to touch, poke, or play with your private parts? I want you to be safe at school and with your friends. Mm -hmm. We do not touch or play with other people's private parts. We yeah. honor their bodies by not touching their private parts. And you can ask your child, son, daughter, have you touched anybody else's private parts? Because to be honest, if we're not having these conversations, our children are going to be extremely curious. Mm -hmm. And they yes. might be looking for answers underneath somebody right. else's pants. That, and that's what, yeah, that's what I meant. When I said we can leave it to the curiosity of children to sort of wander into some not great territory. Yeah. yeah. And they don't mean anything by it. Yeah. And if it happens, which it does happen, we are not going to blow things out of proportion. Right. We're going to come back to sonship and belonging and safety. And we're going to continue to practice these principles in our home. It's not the end of the world unless we make it the end of the world. Mm -hmm. But I have to be honest. If you are a mother of sons, you need to understand that the culture is not for them. Mm. And if your son is accused of touching a girl, it can destroy that boy's life. God is capable of restoring everything. Yeah. But in this cancel culture, yes. it's happening to boys all the time. Mm. Uh, even one of my own sons was falsely accused and it praise God. We're in a school district where it was cleared up. All he did was touch her knee. And that was enough for her to falsely accuse him. Wow. That was a public space and it was on video. So everything got cleared up. But do you see what I'm saying here? The enemy yeah. trying to destroy our sons. Yeah. Because our sons are the next generation of fathers. Yeah. So important conversations to have about sexual yeah. assault. Yes. The next topic is pornography. Mm -hmm. And you can see, right, how these things flow into each other. Yeah. Yes. If you're having conversations with your children about body safety and about the divinity of the body, when someone tries to expose them to pornography, everything inside of them will reject what they see. 
But if you're not having those conversations, everything inside of them will be drawn to see what they, they're just curious. They want to know about human sexuality. Mm -hmm. You get over the age of five and those children, they want to know about, they, they have questions about the body parts of the opposite sex. Yeah. They have, they have questions about how babies are made. Yeah. And those are all, all these things are addressed in my book. How do you talk to your, to your five-year-old about how babies are made? How do you talk to an eight-year-old? How do you talk to a 10-year-old, et cetera? Right. It's all addressed because we have to be the ones having these conversations. So conversation starters, I'm just jumping into things that you can say to your children. Okay. Now, again, the conversation of, about pornography does not start with pornography. It starts right. with study boundaries. Yeah. It starts with bathroom behavior, right? Because the truth is, if you're trying to look at another, like if a child is mm -hmm. trying to look at another child in the bathroom because they're curious, in their little child brain, it's a little bit like pornography. They're like, I want to see what that other child's private parts looks like, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm not shaming or making a bigger deal out of it than it is, but pornography in its essence is the exposure of sexuality at, at, you know, through pictures and through video. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you're talking about bathroom behavior, you're addressing the issue of pornography. Mm -hmm. You start there. So you're kind of establishing this concept of, of privacy and private. Yes. And so yes. they have this concept of maybe I'm looking at something that's private and I shouldn't be seeing this is that what yeah. you're saying yeah. okay yeah and oh somebody else's body is divine it's divine mm -hmm. it's not for my eyes they're they're treasures they're treasures it's not for my eyes that's for their mommy their daddy and their doctor and one day their spouse but it mm -hmm. isn't for me okay mm -hmm. and i'm gonna mm -hmm. honor them i'm gonna respect that other person's body so we yeah. say things like you're allowed to have privacy in the bathroom please knock before you open the bathroom door. If you walk in on your sister in the bathroom, see we're addressing these issues mm -hmm. naturally and safely and without making a big deal out of things, right? Mm -hmm. If you walk in on your sister, close your eyes, say, excuse me, and walk out. Okay. Out the door, right? Just say, excuse me. Oh, I want to give you your privacy and I'm going to walk out, mm -hmm. right? Now, if you mm -hmm. have two little girls, and you grew up, grew up in an environment of safety, oftentimes little girls wash together, they take baths together, they play together, they change together, and all those things should be normalized. Yeah. Nakedness in the family setting should be normalized and desexualized. Yeah. It is okay to be naked with your mama. It's okay for her to see your private parts. It's okay for your daddy to help you get dressed, right? There's nothing sexual about that. But if you're teaching boundaries, your children can tell you no. And right. that's okay. So it's yeah. both. Does that make sense? Yes. And when you're dealing with a little bit older child, you know, if you've got a brother and sister, or even if you're dealing with two 12-year-olds, hey, two 12-year-old girls, your sister really wants privacy. She wants to get dressed by herself. Please yeah. leave her alone in the bedroom to get dressed by yeah. herself. Yeah. We actually had an issue with two of my sons. One was eh, free and fancy free and wanted to be naked and the other one was like no i don't like that please please tell him that he needs to wear <laughs> underwear when he comes back from the shower right yeah <laughs> and, and i just said tell him yourself he's right yeah. here you know right. 
come come on over here. Yeah. Your brother has something to tell you. I really need for you to wear underwear back from the back. And and the other one was like, okay, I can do that. Yeah. Self-advocacy, using your voice, respecting other people's boundaries and other people's bodies. This is what we're doing, right? Right. Right. So having those conversations, mommy and daddy can help you get dressed or you can dress yourself. You can have privacy if you want it. We wet now, and this is a good one for girls, right? When we wear a dress, we sit like a lady to mm-hmm. keep our private parts safe. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have anything to do with, you know, uh, it doesn't have anything to do with forced modesty. All right. The issue here is that the female body is divine and sacred and we protect it just as much as the male body. Right. So mm-hmm. we're not going to we're not going to lay shame on our daughters by saying there's something wrong with their bodies or. Right. Cover that up. You know? Right. Right. None of that nonsense. Instead, we're saying your vagina is it's private, divine, sacred, and we're going to keep it covered and we're going to keep it safe. OK, yeah. so we sit yeah. like a lady to keep our private parts safe. Yeah. When we go swimming, we cover our private parts to keep them safe. Yeah. When we go to the potty in a public bathroom, we give others privacy. You know how many toddlers look underneath? Oh, them? my goodness. You know? Oh, oh. I, and I would say that privacy, privacy. They need privacy. Very good. Very good. And there's no shame. Yeah. You just teach. You use yeah. it as a learning experience, right? Yeah. Actually, we're not going to look under the stall because their private parts are divine and we honor them and it's yeah. private. It's not for us. Right. Yeah. Yes. Th- then. So this this is uh, we're developing this environment where we're constantly talking about body boundaries and um, creating a space where children can ask us questions mm-hmm. when they're interested, when they're intrigued about other body parts. No, Lucy, stop your crying. One of my doggies is crying right now. Oh, Lucy, um, is that her name? Yes. She's, oh. <laughs> so I'll just pet her. She'll calm down then. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna create an environment in our home where conversation is normal and we can just talk to one another openly. Yeah, yeah. So then as the child gets older, we're gonna begin to talk about the issues of pornography. What is pornography? Okay. Pornography is pictures or video of two people having sex or um, uh, having sexual intercourse or performing sexual acts on one another or on themselves. And this is part, if you know, as you're, if you, if you purchase my book, we have a whole uh, chapter on sexual education in the home, sexual discipleship Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. pornography should be part of how we talk to our nine to 12 year olds about sexuality, mm, because it's okay. so common in the world today. Right. We have talking about it. I mean, you just yeah. turn on the TV. If you have cable, you're probably going to see some form of soft pornography, which is yeah. why I recommend not having cable. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. That's what I meant. That's what I meant earlier in my statement. You might need to, you might need to look at what the messaging is. that's being sent to your kids and make some sacrifices and some changes. Yeah. So good. So yeah. good. Cause we want, their yeah. eyes to be safe. Right. We're not, I'm not trying to tell you what you should do. Yeah. But it's yes. when we decide what our priorities are for our children and what we will allow and won't allow, we kind of work our way backwards from there. What kind of sacrifices yes. am I willing to make for that? Yeah. Yes. Yes. And what I want to encourage you is when you talk to your children about pornography, I want you to couch the concept of pornography with 
sex trafficking. Because if you explain that pornography drives slavery, that the production of pornography drives slavery, right. and you teach your children about the evils that children and women experience in the porn trade, you will raise abolitionists who are as ticked off about pornography as you are, who mm -hmm. understand when their friend says, look at this, and flashes a phone at them that has pornography on it, they will say, hey, that is somebody else's daughter. Don't show me that. We need to protect her. She's probably a victim of trafficking. So when I talk to my sons and, and you know, because my children were exposed to pornography before they came to my house, mm -hmm. I we had a lot of things to undo. Sure. So we have had vast breakthrough since I began to talk to them about the sex trafficking trade. And I know that sounds, it sounds devastating. It sounds hard, but it's just based on the development of your individual child. Yeah. And if you want to empower them to respond well, yeah. when uh, they're faced with these issues. Yeah. And you're not, you're not just making that statistic up. I mean, anybody could get on and do a Google search and find out what these statistics are. There are plenty of resources and organizations that talk yep. about this. Um, Underground Railroad is one. Yeah. Um, sure. There's, I'm sure you know of a few others, but I've gotten a lot of my statistics from Underground Rail yeah. Railroad. And yeah. Yeah. And another uh, amazing resource is the Village Global. They're a powerful ministry who are rescuing two year old girls right. from hostels in Mexico City and yeah. boys, boys too. But what we need to understand, and this is what I teach my sons the the brothels in mexico city are are streaming live the rape of small children so that men in the united states can watch it and we need to teach our sons that pornography is not a victimless crime yeah pornography is the destruction of the innocent Right. And when one of my sons was, was exposed to pornography when he was very young, and then as he experienced um, puberty, he went looking for pornography. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we were able to, we've walked him through freedom and healing. And, I, you know, mm -hmm. I'm going to be walking with him his whole life in this area. I, I will walk with him so that he can be free without mm -hmm. shame or guilt. But when I told him about what happens to children, he wept. And that is when he experienced freedom. So I, th this is, I really believe this is the strategy to break this principalic power. We have to raise a generation of abolitionists yeah. who are kicked, who are mad at the devil and yeah. ready to kick him in the teeth when it comes to pornography. Like well, and even going back to what we were saying initially, right? Learning about being sons and daughters. I heard one time somebody speaking on this topic and saying, if you were the enemy of God Lucy. and you hated, you hated God, but you couldn't touch God, you would then take someone made in the image of God and make them do things that were horrendous and horrific. So consider, consider that, you know, if the enemy of our souls, who's the enemy of God, yes. hates God, 
we are made in God's image. The Bible says we are the apple of his eye. Mm -hmm. So he's going to do whatever he can to manipulate, coerce, and control us into doing horrific, terrible things to each other and to ourselves as a way to kind of stick it to God. Yes. Look at these people made in your image, yes. defiling their own bodies, defiling other people's bodies. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't, yeah. and, and not just through, you know, the sex acts, there's I'm, plenty yes. of other ways too, right? But I'm, this is the topic at hand. So, and even just consider, consider that, you know, we, um, it, again, it even goes back to being made in God's image of respecting the image bearer brothers and sisters in our world and how significant that is that who God is, is inside. He put a piece of himself inside of them and they look like him. Yes. You know, so. Yes. Yeah. And this is, this is everything you're saying is so powerful. It really does come back to sonship. It's all about sonship, you guys. Like seriously, it's if you are building sonship in your children from birth, you are going to build children who who know how to walk through these pitfalls. Mm -hmm. They'll know how, who to come to. They'll be willing to have conversations with you. They'll have you know you'll you'll have a relationship with them where they feel safe and trusted. Yeah, my kiddos, just like it. Yeah, no, you're fine. I'm prioritizing my children right now. They are bringing in groceries. I guess daddy is home. Nice. <laughs> well, um, we, this has been so amazing, mm -hmm. such a powerful time together. And there is yeah. so much more yeah. to address, but I think um, we might, we might have to wrap it up for today. Yeah. <laughs> so let's just, then let's recap here. So the five horsemen, I'm just going to say what they are. They're the gender confusion the sexual assault, pornography, so we got through three, homosexuality and suicide. Now, yes. we'll, we'll just bring in this wonderful plug that this book is available. It's available for pre-order or you can go onto her website and you can get the available now workbook style, which is what I purchased last week and I got it on Friday and I started reading it over the weekend. Um, the link is in the description. And I wanna just say everything Harmony touches on in the last or parts that we've done. And even in this part, she touches on in very thorough detail. Harmony is a teacher. She really is. So if this is information you really like to have at your fingertips, because that's what this is about, right? This is about empowering the body of Christ to go out and raise world changers. So I think Harmony has done a, a terrific job. Her resources are available. You can go to the website, um, which I believe is also in the description box below. Yes. Um, would you like to close this? Would you like to say anything else? And would you like to close this out with prayer? Absolutely. Okay. And what I want to say is um, each of these topics, you know, starting with gender identity and really the goal is that we would do the opposite of what the principalities are doing. So mm -hmm. we're releasing gender identity to overcome gender confusion. We're mm -hmm. releasing body boundaries and an understanding of the divinity that we carry in order to overcome sexual assault. We're raising mm -hmm. abolitionists to overcome pornography. Mm -hmm. We're raising sons and daughters who understand the beauty of sexuality to overcome homosexuality. Mm -hmm. And we are releasing a, a, a deep rooted understanding of personal value mm -hmm. of that we are the image bearers of the living God, that we are treasure, that we 
are carrying the person of the of the Trinity, the mm -hmm. Holy Spirit within us, mm -hmm. in order to overcome the the yeah. strategy of suicide in our children's lives. Yeah. We need to understand that our parenting is meant to address and to break the power of these principalities. It's not something, some big thing, like we need to go out and we need to prophesy and declare and attack, right? The principalities, the warfare that we're called to do is the warfare that we do at our kitchen tables. When you build sonship, when you teach your children their value, suicide will have no hold on them, Yeah. right? When you yeah. teach children that they are um, incredibly unique and powerful, that they are created, that, that they're the image bearer. They won't, they won't struggle with gender identity, right? They'll understand that their maleness and their femaleness is amazing and beautiful. And a lot of these things are rooted in trauma. As you provide a safe place, your children will experience less trauma. Mm -hmm. As you are their main educator, your children will experience less trauma. As you are their main discipler, your children will experience less trauma. It will be because of what you did, the intentional prophetic parenting that you are bringing to your children every day that is going to break the power of the principalities that are operating against this generation. It's not that you have to go out and become some kind of, I don't know, mega preacher or spiritual giant. It's what you do at your kitchen table that will totally unravel what the enemy has meant for the Z and the alpha generations. Mm -hmm. And you will see it happen in your own life as well. If you intentionally parent your children like this, the way you see yourself will totally be transformed. Mm. Yeah. So I want, I want to encourage you. I want to, I want to let pastors and leaders know that I am willing to come to churches to present this information. I know how hard it is to present this, especially, you know, maybe it's not your passion. Maybe it's not your thing. Maybe you want your leadership team at your church to be infused with this revelation so that those families can be saved and redeemed. How many of us know that pastors are being, they're, they're burning out? Their families are being destroyed. Their divorce rate is high. The you know the 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 rate of sexual um, misconduct is high. And there's been this massive exposure in the church right now of pastors who have fallen into sexual sin. Mm -hmm. I believe God has called me and anointed me to step into the church environment with this revelation and yeah. to help pastors shift the environment of their homes and their their congregations so yeah. i am available to come to do conferences to do workshops to teach this information to classes and i would love to sit with your leaders your laymen and your sheep and help them walk out this revelation yeah so thank you harmony thank Absolutely. you would you like to close us in prayer yes i would Daddy God, we love you. We love you so much. We love you, God. You are not the God who demands perfection from your children. You're the God 
that works in the midst of our messiness. You work when the dogs are barking and the the children are running around. How many of us know, like, God, you're with a mom right now who couldn't listen to this entire teaching because her toddler was throwing food. God, you were with that mama. You're not interested in our appearance of perfection, God. You're throwing off religion in this hour. You're breaking the boundaries of religion in this hour, God. And you're teaching us what real, authentic family looks like, Jesus. It doesn't look clean and pressed and perfect. It looks organic and intimate and powerful and intentional and prophetic. God, we love you. We worship you. I thank you, God, for the fruit that is already being produced in the lives of families at this moment, God. Right now, you are reaching into families' lives. You are transforming families. You are turning the hearts of the fathers back to the, the sons and the hearts of the sons and daughters back to the fathers, God. You're redeeming marriages that are on the verge of divorce. You're breaking the power of pornography off of fathers and mothers right now, God. Not just men struggle with pornography, Jesus. I thank you that you are redeeming a generation of women who have turned to pornography because they have never experienced true intimacy, God. I thank you that you are healing the family. You love the family. You love every single person that's listening right now, God. You love every single father, every single mother, every grandparent, every um, aunt and uncle, God. You love the teacher and the Bible, the Bible school teacher, God. You love the Sunday school teacher. You love the children's minister and the youth minister, God. You love every person that has given their lives, laid down their lives for this generation, Abba. You're so pleased with them. And as we close this powerful time together, Jesus, I pray that you would encounter every person listening with the tangible love of God. I pray, Jesus, that they would be just inundated with the presence of the living God right where they are at, in their kitchen, in their living room, as they're driving down the road, Abba. Encounter them with your love. And teach them that you are not a punishing, angry father figure. Instead, you are a daddy and a papa and a lover of your children. We praise you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Harmony, thank you so much for this series, for doing this bonus episode, for walking us through, equipping us, even just giving us your time and just the resources. It's been awesome. And I know that for months to come and years to come, we'll probably see more people trickling in. I believe it will be a true blessing and turning point for a lot of people. So thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Everybody, thank you so much for joining us for this series, um, for taking time out of your day to learn. I pray it will be a tremendous blessing to you. We bless you. Thank you for joining us. Have a wonderful afternoon. Bye. This has been Elijah Fire. Thanks for listening. 
For more episodes like this, you can check out the Elijah Fire podcast on ElijahFire.com, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can watch us live every weekday at 2 p.m. Pacific time on YouTube, Rumble, Twitch, and Facebook. Elijah Fire is presented by Elijah Streams and is part of Elijah List Ministries. Go to ElijahFire.com slash give for more info on how you can donate today. Thank you.